Chapter 11 of Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leonard Hardy, Calgary, Alberta. Tales from Ariosto by Joseph Shield Nicholson. Chapter 11 The Combat in Lepidusa. Three against three. Twice had Gradasso, the king of Saracen, invaded Europe in order to win Bayardo, the famous horse of Rinaldo, and Durandana, the mighty sword of Orlando, and in the end he had gotten both, though not by his own valor in fight. So keen was his desire to have Bayardo that he broke his plighted word with Rinaldo, and on the chance offering rode away on the horse, and the sword Durandana had come into his hands partly also by chance, and partly by the prowess of another namely Rogero. As already told in another story, Orlando in his madness had thrown the sword away, and Zervino had lost his life in its defense, and Mandricardo had ridden away with it. And another story tells how Mandricardo lost his life and the sword to Rogero, and how Rogero, according to their compact, gave the sword to Gradasso. Now when Gradasso had got his heart's desire in horse and sword, though by no means in the way he had hoped for, for he was of dauntless courage, and had wished to win both in fair fight. He took ship and set his face toward his own country, and he was driven by tempest to take refuge in Lepidusa, a little island that lies between Sicily and Africa. And here, where he least expected, he was, after all, to fight with Orlando for his sword. And a little after Gradasso, a vessel was driven by the same tempest to the same refuge, and on board were Agramont and Subrino and the story of their coming is briefly this. Agramont had fought his last battle and suffered his last defeat in Europe. His forces were driven into the sea, and with a remnant of followers he escaped on the ships that survived of his proud fleet, and in the hour of his need his companions in arms reviled him in secret whispers, all save old Sabrino, who had tried at the first to dissuade him from the great enterprise. And as soon as night fell, Agramont and his ships sailed into a new peril. For the god of the Christians brought against the Saracens by means of the miracle of the leaves, a great fleet manned with Nubians under the command of Dudon. And it was not until most of his ships were ablaze with flames that Agramont knew the strength of the enemy. For at first he had supposed it was an affair of no moment. And when he saw the fight was hopeless, he fled away in a swift vessel with old Sobrino. They steered for Bazirta, the capital city of Agramont's kingdom, for they did not know it had been besieged by the Christian forces, and even then was being put to fire and sword. And when they came near to the shore where they had looked for a city of refuge, lo, there was the city in flames, and Agramont in his despair would have fallen on his sword, but Sobrino held him back saying that his death would indeed be the ruin of Africa, but that so long as he lived, he might hope to make new allies and bring new forces against the Christians. And Agramont took courage, and they set sail towards Egypt and the east. But a storm arose, and they were forced to take shelter in Lepidusa. And there they found Gradasso, and the king of Saracane, when he heard the evil tidings from his old ally in arms, embraced him and comforted him, and made offer of all his power. 
Far into the night they took counsel together, Agrama, Gradasso, and Sobrino, and in the end they determined to challenge Orlando and the Christians to put the fate of Europe and Africa to the arbitrament of combat. Three against three, for Gradasso had heard how Orlando had recovered from his madness and was the leader of the attack on Byzerta. With dawn of the day storm abated, they sent their messenger to Orlando. Right glad was Orlando to receive this challenge from Agamont and his comrades, and especially because he had heard that Gradasso had possession of Durandana, which he had cast away in his madness, and to recover this sword the paladin had already decided, so soon as the siege of Byzerta was finished, to follow Gradasso into his own kingdom. And Orlando knew also that Agamont had in his hand Brigliadoro, the horse which he had also set loose in the time of his madness. And it had been taken by Mandricardo, and after Rogero had killed him in the duel, he had given the horse to Agramont, and Orlando loved the horse as he loved the sword. Orlando chose as his companions in the fight Oliver, his brother-in-law, and Brandemart, his dearest and most devoted of friends. It chanced, by a succession of misfortunes, that none of the three had his own proper arms. Orlando had landed on the African shore clad only in the grime of his madness, and from the other two, Rodomont had stripped off the armor at the passage of his bridge, and their armor had been hung on the tomb of Isabella. The paladins chose the best that the spoils of Bizerta could offer, but poor were the arms compared with those they had so often proved in battle. But by a strange turn of fortune their need was met at least in part. They were walking on the sands after they had received the challenge, and in the eagerness of their talk on the coming battle, they had wandered along the shore about three miles from Bizerta, and lifting up their eyes seaward, they suddenly saw a ship in full sail driving straight on the barren shore, and as it came nearer they saw on the deck no man, and even at the helm no steersman. The ship was driven by its fate on the sandbanks that guarded the shore, and there lay desolate and the paladins were astonished by the sudden advent of the ship, and in haste they found a small light boat and put off to the wreck. And on board they found indeed no man, for the same tempest that had driven the others to Lepidusa had threatened to drive this vessel on another rocky island, and it was carrying back to Africa a remnant of the Saracen forces whom Rogero had redeemed from Dudon, who had taken them prisoner when he destroyed the fleet of Agramont. And when the seamen thought they could not avoid the rocky island in the storm, they took to the boats and perished one and all, except Rogero, who escaped by swimming to the lonely rock and by the will of God. So soon as the people had left the ship and perished, the storm abated, and the ship righted itself and sailed on past the rocks and over the sea to the sands of Bizerta. And when the paladins had searched the vessel, they found unhurt Frontino, the war-horse of Rogero, and beneath the deck they found also the glorious arms that were first made for Hector of Troy, and had been won by Mandricardo in his greatest adventure, and had been lost by him to Rogero, when he lost to him also his life. But none of them knew, not Orlando, nor Brandemart, nor Oliver, that these were the arms of Hector. Though they much marveled at their richness, and with the jeweled arms, they found a sword, and while Orlando knew the sword and its name and its virtue, 
for he had himself won it from the enchantress Valerina when he made her captive and destroyed her garden. And the sword had been wrought under the strongest spells, as she had hoped for the destruction of Orlando himself. And the name of the sword was Balasarda, and this too had been stolen by Brunello, and also given by him to Rogero. And Orlando knew not what had become of the sword after it was stolen, and much he rejoiced to have it back in his hand for the coming fight. And to Brandemart was given the horse Frontino, and to Oliver the shining armor that had once been Hector's, and had been won of Mandricardo by Ruggiero. The three paladins made fitting preparations for the day of the great battle, which was to decide the fate of Africa, and perchance even of Christendom. And each chose for himself a new device for shield and surcoat. Orlando, confident of victory over the pagans, had devised a tower of Babel struck by a thunderbolt. Oliver had chosen a dog couchant with its leash on its back, waiting for its quarry and the motto, Till he come. And the dog was of silver, and the surcoat was of cloth of gold. Now it chanced that just before the great assault on Bazerta, when Fleur-de-Lis found Brandemart, he had also been found by a faithful old retainer, Bardino by name, who had been searching for him, to bring to him the sad news of the death of his father, and to summon him to take up his father's kingdom. But Brandemart would not assent to return before he had helped Orlando to capture Bizerta, and now again he would not take up his new kingship before he had fought his great fight in Lepidusa by the side of Orlando. But in token of his mourning, he chose for himself a black shield with no device and a surcoat of plain black with no ornament save a fringe in which there were to be embroidered many gems and jewels, and Fleur-de-Lis herself worked the black surcoat with its richly embroidered border, and she made a black covering with a like border that should fall over the mane and shoulders and back of the horse. And as she worked at the black cloth, blackness entered into her own heart, and all the time she never once smiled, and never gave one sign of cheerfulness. Always her heart was tormented by the fear that her Brandemart would return to her no more. A hundred times she had seen him in danger of his life, in great battles, and in venturous quests. But never before had her blood run cold and her cheek grown pale with dread, and in this very newness of fear made the fear doubly great. And when at last the warrior set sail, she stood on the shore and watched till the ship faded from sight, and she filled the air with vows and lamentations. And with great trouble Astolfo and his brother-in-arms, Sonsonetto, prevailed upon her to leave the shore, and no sooner had she arrived in the palace than she threw herself on her couch, worn out and trembling. In the meantime a favoring wind took the three champions quickly to the Pedusa, and they pitched their tent on the eastern shore of the island, perchance because they thought the rising sun would be in their backs when the first charge was made for in the greatness of the issue it seemed their duty to leave as little as might be to chance. And on the other side of the island was encamped Agramont, and on both sides sentinels were posted all night, for the battle was to be at break of day. But when the night had befallen, Brandemart spoke with Orlando, and with his consent went unarmed to the tent of Agramont, for they had been at one time friends and allies. And after the pagan king and the faithful cavalier had joined hands, Brandemart made an offer of terms of peace to Agramont. He should retain the power of every city and dominion from the Nile to the pillars of Hercules, 
if only he would believe on the Son of Mary. And he told how he himself had accepted the true faith and renounced Muhammad, and how he had wished for all his friends the like consolation. Then he spoke of the chances of the battle and the little gain that would accrue to Agramont even if he killed Orlando, and more would he have said of things heavenly and of things earthly. But the Saracen broke in. It is the part of a fool or a madman to offer counsel where it is not asked, and if indeed you wish me well I know not, and it is hard to believe when I see you come in the train of Orlando. Verily I think the great dragon of hell has your soul in his grip, and will drag you down to the eternal punishment of the unfaithful. And whether I gain or lose this fight, and whether or no I return to my ancient kingdom, lies in the breast of God, and neither I nor you nor Orlando can see what is there hidden. Come what may, no dastard fear shall make me do a deed unworthy of a king. If die I must, I will die before I wrong my race and blood. Get you gone, and if tomorrow your fighting is not better than your embassy this night, Orlando will regret his choice of companion in battle. And with burning anger these last words rushed from the fiery heart of the Saracen, and they parted to meet at sunrise. With the pale light of the new dawn the warriors armed and mounted. Few words were said, and there was no delay in ceremony. But on the instant lances were at rest, and the shore resounded with the clang of iron and the rush of horses. At the first onset every lance was splintered to the truncheon. Orlando met Gradasso, and the pagan had the advantage of Bayardo, the famous horse which he had won of Rinaldo, not by force of arms. And the horse of Orlando, though the best Bayarda could give, could not withstand the shock of the mighty Bayardo, and when Orlando found he could not raise it by hand or spur, he freed himself of the stirrups, and with his right hand grasped Balasarda the enchanted sword, and with his left his shield. Brandemart unhorsed Sobrino, and seeing his foe on the earth, he left him, and charged against Gradasso, who had unhorsed Orlando. Between Agramont and Oliver the fight remained even. Though with lance and shield broken they had come to the naked sword. When Orlando saw that Gradasso was hard-pressed by Brandemart, and noted that Sobrino, on foot like himself, was without an opponent, he advanced to attack him. And the old king awaited the storm as fearless as a bold mariner meets a great wave and he raised his shield to guard against the crash of Balasarda. But so keen was the blade, and so mighty the arm that gave the blow, that it cut through the shield in its encircling steel, and falling on the shoulder, clove through the double steel and secret mail, and made a grievous wound. With his right arm still uninjured, Sabrino stuck with all his strength at Orlando, but as well might have smitten hard rock, for by the will of God it had been given to Orlando for the defense of Christendom that his body should be invulnerable. And in turn Orlando thought to give the Saracen such a blow as would strike the head from the shoulders, but in part the goodness of his armor turned the blow, and Belisarda smote him with the flat, and not with the edge. But even so Sobino fell to the ground, stunned and unable to stir, and Orlando, thinking Sobino was dead, turned to the aid of Brandemart, who was overmatched by Gradasso in arms and sword and horse, for Gradasso had by Ardo, and perhaps in strength. As far as the horse was concerned, the disadvantage of Brandemart was not so great, for he was mounted on Frontino, and though not so strong as by Ardo, never did a horse answer better the wish of the rider, and it seemed to know which way the terrible Durandana was aimed, and to avoid the blow itself. And if Brandemart had been armed as well as his foe, the fight would have gone in his favor. 
but his hauberk availed nothing against Durandana, the fateful sword now in the hands of Gradasso. As soon as Orlando advanced on foot to the aid of Brandemart, he chanced to notice the good horse from which Sobrino had been thrown, and in a moment he had leaped into the saddle, and with one hand he held the jeweled reins, and with the other Balasarda. As soon as Gradasso saw Orlando, he turned from Brandemart and made a fierce thrust which cut through Orlando's armor, but could not penetrate the invulnerable flesh. And in return Orlando raised Balasarda, the sword that Valerina had inspirited with spells which no enchanted armor could withstand, and driven with all his strength, the blow fell, and cut through the helm and shield and mail, and wounded Gradasso in face and breast and thigh. And the king was dazed with a double wonder, for since he had borne that armor he had never been wounded, and since he had wielded Durandana he had never known it to fail. No longer had he confidence in sword or arms, and contrary to his wont, he fell back on skill in defense. In the meantime, Brandemart had taken up a position between the two sets of combatants, ready to advance to the aid of Oliver, if need be, against Agramoc, and up to then they had waged an even battle. Or if need be, to Orlando, should Gradasso prove the stronger. This being the state of the fight, Sabrino, who had lain for a long time stunned on the ground and weak from loss of blood, came to his senses, and in spite of the grievous pain of the wounds in shoulder and face, raised himself and looked around. And it came into his mind to give his aid to his suzerain Agramont against Oliver, and with silent, careful steps he came up behind the paladin, whose eyes were fixed on his open foe, and struck the horse in the hind knees, and perforce it fell to the ground. And in the sudden fall Oliver was unable to draw his left foot from the stirrup, and it was caught beneath the fallen horse. Sobrino aimed blow on blow at the prostrate knight, but the arms of Hector, lifted him by Orlando from the treasure-trove of Rogero's ship, turned all aside. When Brandemart saw Oliver's plight, he rode to his aid, and giving as he passed a blow to Sobrino, he took on himself the fight against Agramont. Oliver, having freed his right arm and sword, not only made good his defense, but seeing Sobrino almost falling with his wounds, he hoped in time to free his foot and kill his man. With Brandemart his new foe, Agramont had the advantage of arms, for Brandemarts were only the chance spoils of Byzerta, but in horses, Brigliadoro, ridden by Agramont, though the stronger warhorse, was inferior in speed and dexterity to Frontino. The first onset was in favor of the African monarch, who wounded his enemy in the right shoulder and already Randemart had suffered from Gadasso a wound in the side, but in return he drove his sword through the shield of Agramart, and at the same time struck the left arm and touched his right hand. But this combat was as child's play to the fight between Orlando and Gradasso. The Saracane king had cut in pieces the shield and armor of Orlando, though he could not pierce the god-protected skin. But Orlando, with the fateful Balasarda, had wounded his foeman in face and breast and throat, beyond the wounds given in the first attack. Then Gradasso, made desperate by his own loss of blood and failing strength, and the sight of Orlando with armor shattered but unwounded, raised his sword in both hands and with all his might let fall on the head of Orlando a blow which he hoped and believed would cut him asunder. And even as he had wished, the blow struck the count full on the forehead, and any other warrior it must have cloven to the saddle. 
but from Orlando, just as it had struck him with the flat. The sword slipped away, bloodless. But though by the gift of God Orlando remained unwounded, the stunning blow bereft him of all sense and feeling. The reins fell from his hand, and the sword would have fallen had it not been fastened by a chain to the arm. So frightened was the horse ridden by Orlando by this mighty blow and the slackened rein, that it rushed at full speed along the sandy shore. Gradasso followed, and soon would have overtaken the fleeing horse on the mattress by Ardo. But casting his eyes round the field of battle, he saw that Agamot was in the utmost peril of his life, for Brandemart had disarmed him, and gripping his helmet and tearing the lacing with the left hand, with his right he was on the point of giving the coup de grace with his dagger. Gradasso, at the sight, stayed his pursuit of Orlando, and hasted to the aid of Agramont, and Brandemart, wholly intent on his dagger, and never dreaming that Gradasso would escape free from Orlando, saw no danger, and made no defense. And Gradasso gave a blow like that he had given to Orlando, but not with the same effect. Senseless fell Brandemart from the saddle, and from the deep wound a stream of blood gushed over the sand. At this moment Orlando, who by instinct had kept his seat on the frightened horse, recovered his senses, and even in the instant saw his dear Brandemart fall to the ground, and he knew that the Saracen king had given him his death-blow. There was no time for grief or sorrow. Grief and sorrow for his loss were to come later, but anger such as he had never felt seized on the mind of Orlando. The first to meet his wild onset was Agramont, covered with blood, with half a shield and no sword, with helm unlaced and pierced with the wounds given by Brandemart, he was helpless. With one blow Orlando struck the throat that Brandemart had bared for his dagger thrust, and the great ruler of all Africa fell headless on the sand. Not an instant did Orlando delay, but turned his blade on Gradasso. And when Gradasso saw the death blow of Agramont, for the first time in his life fear entered his heart and pallor his cheek. As if mastered by foreknowledge of his fate, he made no defense, and Orlando struck him on the right side under the last rib, and the sword cut through the belly a span deep, and came out on the left side, bloody to the hilt. Thus perished at the hands of the best warrior in the universe, the mightiest king of Pagania. Little cheered by his quick revenge, Orlando threw himself from the saddle, and with tears in his eyes and troubled face he ran to Brandemart, and all around the sand was covered with blood, and the helmet hung about his head like the bark of a tree shattered by an axe, and gently Orlando took away the broken helm from the face and saw a gaping wound between the eyes. But still enough life remained to the dying knight to recommend his soul to God and to ask pardon for his sins, and to speak words of comfort to his friends when he saw the tears running down his cheeks. And at last he whispered, Orlando, remember me in your prayers to God, and care for my floor. For the name of his dear lady was cut in two by death, and voices of angels in heavenly harmonies filled the air, as the soul, casting off the veil of the body, ascended into heaven. And Orlando Though he heard the voices and knew that the gates of paradise had been opened to Brandemart, yet through the frailty of human will could not keep back his tears when he thought that he who was more to him than a brother had been taken away. 
and all his anger died away in the heart of Orlando. And it was ever so that after the battle he was filled with merciful pity. And he ran to the aid of old Sobrino, who, from loss of blood, had only a flicker of life, like a little gleam in the darkness. And the Count spoke to him in words of comfort, as if he had been his nearest of kin. And he ordered the attendants to carry him to his tent, and look to his wounds. And Oliver he released from the fallen horse, and his foot was so crushed that without aid he could not stand. And little elated was Orlando with the victory as he looked on the field of battle. Brandemart dead, and Oliver grievously hurt, and not sure of life. As soon as Orlando had seen Oliver and Sobrino removed with gentle care from the battlefield to the tents, he paid the last honor to his dead foemen, Gradasso and Agramont. And he bade them also tell the outcome of the fight to Astolfo and the other paladins. And when the paladins heard from the Saracen servants of the victory of Orlando, they were much rejoiced. But in a moment their joy died away when they knew that Brandemart had lost his life. And if to them the loss was grievous, who should bear the news to his devoted Fleur-de-Lis? The night before Fleur-de-Lis had dreamed a dream, and in her dream she saw the surcoat which she had fashioned and embroidered with her own hand, marked all over with red spots, as if it were from a rain of blood. And in her dream it seemed to her that she herself had so devised her embroidery, and she grieved over her mistake and said to herself, Surely my dear Lord told me to make the surcoat all black, and how can I have worked in it so strange a manner against his will? And when she awaked, she thought the dream of evil omen, and in the evening of that day came the fatal news to Bizerza. Astolfo took care that she should hear nothing until he himself with Sansonetto should try to lessen the grief in the telling. But as soon as she saw their faces with no sign of the joy of great victory, she knew without a word from them that her Brandemart was no more. And gently they told her of the manner of his death, and her heart was so afflicted, and so blinded were her eyes, and so benumbed was every sense, that like one dead she fell to the ground. And when her spirit came back to her, she buried her hands in her hair, and then, calling on his dear name, she struck her face again and again, and she cried out as one possessed by an evil spirit, and she tore out her hair and cast it away in the madness of her grief. And she prayed one and the other to give her a knife that she might plunge it in her heart. And then her passion changing, she would go to the ship that had brought the bodies of his slayers, and on the bodies take a savage vengeance. And again the passion changed, and she would pass over the sea and die by the side of her dead lord. To the raging of madness succeeded the moaning of sorrow, and she spoke to her dead Brandemart as if he were beside her, and in gentle words, Oh, why did I let you go without me on such a quest? Never before did your Florida stay behind. If only I had gone, I would have given you help, and my eyes would never have left you. And when Gradasso came to strike you in the back, with a cry, I would have given you the alarm. Or perhaps I might have been so quick that coming between, I could myself have taken the blow. My head would have been your shield, and small was the loss if I had died. In any case, now I must die and without any gain to you, and had I only died in your defense, I could not better have given up my life. And if my hard fate 
or the judgment of God had made my help of no avail, at least I would have given you the last kisses and bathed your face with my tears. And before the blessed angels had taken your soul to its maker, I could have said, Go in peace and wait my coming. Wherever you may be, I shall haste to follow. Alas, alas, my dear, is this the kingship you were to take? Is this the way you were to make me your queen? Ah, cruel, cruel fate. How are all our hopes shattered in one day? And why do I not now lose all my life when I have lost so much? So she moaned in her sorrow. And then again came back the fury of madness, and again she tore her hair as if its glory were to blame. And again in madness she struck her face, and quite distraught bit her lips, and marred with her fingers the beauty of her breast. In the evening of the day of the combat, Orlando set sail for Sicily, to find a fitting burial place for Brandemart, beneath the mountain that with its fire illumes the night, and with its smoke darkens the day. And he took with him Oliver, whose crushed foot needed a physician, and Rinaldo, who had hastened to Lepidusa on hearing the rumor of the combat, but had arrived too late. And all the night they sailed, guided by the moon under a favoring breeze, and in the morning they reached Agrigentum, and here Orlando prepared for the next evening the funeral rites with the most solemn pomp and ritual. And from all sides the nobles of that land assembled, and the shore gleamed with torches, and the air was filled with lamentations, and amongst the mourners was Bardino the old retainer, who had come to announce to Brandemart his ascension to the kingdom, and standing beside the bier, he gave way without restraint to the violence of his grief. When all was ready for passing with the body from the shore to the church, Orlando advanced to the body, and for a time stood in silence gazing on it, pale as the white flower of the acanthus that, gathered in the morning, fades in the twilight. And with a deep sigh he fixed his eyes on the dead and spoke to him in these words, Dear, brave, faithful friend, here you lie dead, though well I know you are living in heaven, and have gained a life that shall never more suffer by heat or cold. Forgive me if you see me weeping, and believe that I sorrow to be left behind and not to share your joy, and I do not sorrow for you, because you are no longer here on earth. Without you I am all alone. Without you nothing on earth can give the old delight. If I have been by your side in storm and war, why should I be absent in ease and happiness? Heavy must be my sin that clogs my feet with this mud, and will not let me follow on your steps. If I was with you in troubles, why should I not share your gains? You have gained, and I have lost. You alone have gained, but I am not alone in the loss. Sharers in my grief are mighty kingdoms Italy, France, and Germany. My lord and emperor and all his paladins are plunged in deepest sorrow, and the holy empire and holy church lament the loss of their surest defense. Alas, how will your death lighten the fears of the enemy? How will all Pagania feel its strength renewed? Alas, what suffering for your dear wife! I seem to see her weeping and hear her cries across the wide seas. But fleur de thee, let us take this comfort, we who are left without our Brandemark, that every living warrior is envious of his glorious death. 
in that none of the men of olden times gave themselves to death with greater honor for themselves or greater gain for others. These and other words spake Orlando. And the beer began its journey, and there followed a long train of friars of every order, gray, white, and black, and priests and other clerics, two by two, praying for the soul of the dead, that it might find rest among the blessed. And on every side the multitude of lighted torches changed the night into day. And the bearers of the bier were nobles and knights who took up the burden in turn. Of purple silk was the pall, with a deep border of gold and pearls, and on pillows rich in gems and gold lay the dead knight, clothed in purple, splendidly jeweled. And there passed on before the rest three hundred of the poorest of that city, all clad in black from head to foot. And there followed them a hundred pages, riding great war horses, and their long black trains swept the ground. And behind and before floated many banners of varied devices, which long ago dead heroes had won for Peter and Caesar. And there were carried many shields that bore the insignia of the dead from whom they were taken in battle. And there came hundreds after hundreds, according to the use and want of a noble funeral, and one and all carried blazing torches, and one and all were covered up in deepest black. And next the bier came Orlando, his cheeks wet with tears, and eyes red with weeping, and beside him was Rinaldo. And as the long procession passed into the cathedral church, the people wept with pity, for the hero, so young, so good, so beautiful, people of every rank and age, men and women and children, wept with pity. The body was brought into the church, and when the priests had finished their chanting, they placed the body in its coffin on two pillars, and here Orlando designed that it should rest covered with a rich cloth of gold, until there could be built for it a sepulchre of the greatest worth. Nor would Orlando leave Sicily before he had got much periphery and alabaster, and he gave great rewards to the masters of their crafts to design a noble tomb. And after he had gone, there came Fleur-de-Lis, and she brought from Africa huge stones and pillars, and when she found that her tears and sighs never ceased, and that no peace was to be found in endless masses for the dead, she vowed in her heart never to leave the place until her spirit left her body. And in the sepulchre itself she made a cell, and there she shut herself in, and there she lived. Many a messenger and many a letter Orlando sent to her, and at last he went himself to try to take her from the tomb. He would, he said, put her in charge of the Queen of Charlemagne. He would, if she wished, take her far over the seas to the kingdom of her father. He would build for her a convent wherein she might serve God with holy women. No heed paid Fleur-de-Lis to his entreaties. In the sepulchre she stayed on, praying day and night. And not long did her weary life endure. End of chapter 11. Recording by Leonard Hardy. Calgary, Alberta.